morning. Uh, so today's Bible reading is Genesis uh, 28, verse 31, to Genesis 30, uh, verse 24. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Sibion. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become more attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw this, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Billa, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Billa as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Billa conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, What good fortune! So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, How happy I am! The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the field and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please, give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor, because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Some time later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dina. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. Thank you, Robert. Just get this ready. Okay, hands up. Who's played Monopoly? 
Everyone? Anyone not played Monopoly? Okay. Just you, Maddie. Oh, she have? Okay. Good. Because this Monopoly is illustrating the whole sermon. So if you didn't know it, it would be no good. All right. Hands up again. Who's played Monopoly with their family and had some sort of conflict during the game? (laughs) Whoever invented that game, I reckon they were up to no good. Because it's, you know, it's billed as a nice family game, and it is a family game, but only in that it's fine-tuned to push the bu- your buttons, whatever your age and stage in life, sending adults into a rage and children into tears. So here's the promo pic from Hasbro. Next slide. Thanks, Robert. Look at that evil granny. <laughs> I bet she's like, see the little kid? whose heart is breaking, his world's falling down around his ears. I bet the granny's going, ha, in your face, Billy, I didn't land on your property in, on, with a hotel on it. Now, I'm not pointing fingers here, because I'm one of the worst. I got banned in our family from shouting, rent, in a particularly arrogant and in-your-face mocking harsh way. Well, in today's passage, there's a different kind of unhealthy family competition going on between Jacob's wives. Only they're not desperately trying to collect properties on a monopoly board. They're desperately trying to collect children. And the rent that they're trying to win with those children is Jacob's affection. So like even the best families, the game causes all the tension that's simmering under the surface to boil over and show what's really on their hearts. And yet this is the origin story of God's chosen people, Israel. This is how the patriarchs of 11 of the tribes, Benjamin comes a bit later on, this is how they came to be. No story of heroics, no hearts and flowers, just a family of mixed motives, jealousy, division, and bad decisions. We don't have recorded for us in the Bible a spruced up, Uh, photoshopped version, we've got this warts and all, uncensored origin story. And as we look at this today, we're going to think about our origin story, because this family, I reckon, are a good opportunity to hold up a mirror up to ourselves. As we seek to follow Jesus, uh, we seek to help each other grow as disciples, as we seek to reach the lost, what is our sense of our own origin story as a Christian? And my prayer is that as we do that, it'll keep our feet on the solid ground of God's grace, of trusting in him, and with that being what drives how we present Jesus to the world and to each other. So that's where we're headed. Quick recap from last week. So Jacob has wanted to marry his true love, Rachel. But Jacob the deceiver, he got a taste of his own medicine um, when he was tricked by Rachel's dad, Laban, into sleeping with her older sister, Leah, first. And Uh, This is a family that begins in deception and resentment and jealousy and cold-heartedness. But the bigger picture context is that God had promised Abraham that he would have countless offspring who would become a whole people of God with their own promised land of abundance. And through them, God would bless the whole world. And yet for, Isaac, for Abraham and then for Isaac, the pattern has been that the offspring part of that promise has been really difficult 
uh, comes after years of waiting and only then by God's intervention. So the question hanging in the air as we get to today's passage is, how's it going to go for Jacob producing offspring? Because he's been confirmed as those blessings, those promises of blessing being applied to him. How's he going to go having kids? Okay, so there's an outline in your leaflet there. We're just going to look at two wives, two servants, one bloke and their God. First up then, two wives, two servants. So the two wives, that's Leah, uh, the older, unloved sister, and her servant is Zilpah. And then we've got Jacob's true love, Rachel. She's the younger sister, and her maidservant is Billa, or Bilha, I don't know how you say it. Billy, we'll call it, yeah. Bill. So first of all, we zoom in on Leah. She's unloved and overlooked by Jacob. But remember, God sees her and God cares for her. And God sees you and God cares for you. However tough life gets, it's not because God doesn't know about it. And it's not because God doesn't care about it. God sees. He cares. But back to Leah, right from the start, the tension set up, isn't it? Chapter 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. So for now, it's Rachel who's missing out. Now, throughout this account, the names given to the children and the reason for that name, they're like a window into the mother's hearts where they're up to with things. And there's a lot to keep track of, so I've listed them there on your leaflet in order of birth. So with Leah's first child, Reuben, she shows her mixed motives. Verse 32, she's grateful for God's love, yet she longs for the love of her husband. Then with Simeon, naming Simeon, she again acknowledges that God hears But she's crying out for Jacob to hear, for his attention. Then her third son, Levi, is born. Surely now, Jacob will stop keeping me at arm's length. Surely now, Jacob will form some sort of emotional attachment to me. Jacob, are you there? By the time Leah has Judah, she seems to have come around to trusting in God and not worrying so much about Jacob. She praises God. She's in a good place. But as we'll see, she doesn't quite stay there. So it's like if you've ever played Monopoly and you get the most expensive properties, Park Lane, Mayfair, you've got hotels in them, you're like, yes, I'm going to win this. And then nobody ever lands on them. And you spend all that money and you don't get any income from them. The whole game. Well, in this great baby-bearing competition, the first prize being Jacob's love, Leah's made all the right moves. She's got four offspring to the good. But Jacob never lands in the right place for her to claim the rent of his affection for her. But by now, four kids later, Rachel is fired up. So chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. She's jealous. She's always been number one for Jacob. Leah, uh, an overlooked inconvenience. 
And yet now she feels Leah has the upper hand. Just as Laban gave Jacob a taste of his own medicine of what it feels like to be deceived, so Rachel at last is feeling like she's the one out of favor, like Leah has all these years. We need to be really wary of envy and jealousy. It's one of the most destructive and blinding of sins. It poisons everything. Jealousy drives us to wrong behavior, motivated by wanting something other than God to be our ultimate thing. Jealousy drives us to seek answers from our heart's desire that will never satisfy. Beware of jealousy. For Rachel, it drives her to desperate measures. Verse 3, then she said, Here's my servant, Bilhah. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. Now what do you make of Rachel's scheme? A surrogate motherhood? I mean, we could talk about it. Perhaps it was normal for that culture. But even then, is that really going to impress Jacob? Is it really going to satisfy Rachel? And what about how poor Bilher feels about it? Most importantly... What does God think of this plan? Still, Bilhah falls pregnant and Leah um, takes the birth of, sorry, um, Rachel takes the birth of Dan, meaning he has vindicated as confirmation that she's doing the right thing. Hmm, but will that be enough? She sends Jacob to her servant again. Her second son shows us where her heart is. Verse 8. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. (laughs) Ha ha, Leah, in your face, I win. See, this game's become no no longer about fulfilling God's promise of offspring, or it's not even about Jacob anymore. It's all about getting one over on her sister. But Leah, meanwhile, thinks, well, two can play that game. And uses the same tactic with her own servant, Zilpah. So Gad and Asher are born. And Leah might as well have called them, anything you can do, I can do better. And no, 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 no. They're all, their names sort of offering a, a kind of a lifelong taunt to their Auntie Rachel. God doesn't seem to be dominating Leah's thoughts quite as he once was, does he? And then, just as it's, it's bad enough, but then like any competition where the stakes are getting higher and higher, there's a doping scandal. Now, it's no coincidence when you play Monopoly that whoever's the banker just so happens to usually win because they've got access to all the cash and all the property, haven't they? You know, sneaking it in. The, I've, I've never done it, but... Uh, they get an unfair advantage. And in this baby Monopoly game, Leah is using mandrakes, so a plant used for its supposed aphrodisiac and fertility properties. Basically, ancient world Viagra. So Leah's turned to sort of a pagan insurance policy in case God doesn't deliver. She's even 
got her kids involved. It all feels a bit off, doesn't it? In the heat of battle, everyone's forgetting to trust God. But then Rachel demands a piece of this, action, of this sort of mandrake love potion action. Things come to a head. And Leah blurts out the agony that's been on her heart all this time. What a real issue is. Verse 15. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. How many arguments over something trivial like a game of Monopoly quickly escalate from something about free parking or collecting utilities to real issues of you always, you never. And it's never really a conflict about Monopoly. Jaws isn't about Jaws. Star Wars isn't about space. This isn't really an argument about mandrakes. Coming to the surface is years of resentment at being treated as second fiddle, an inconvenient substitute they feel obliged to use. And Rachel, her own sister, going along with that, not only going along, but making it worse even. Rachel's like, fine then, go on, you can rent Jacob off me. Price for one night, a bunch of mandrakes. And Leah's waiting for Jacob when he gets home from work with this immortal romantic chat-up line. Ladies, you can try this. You must sleep with me. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. It's just, just beautiful, isn't it? It's all getting chaotic and, and silly, really, isn't it? Out of hand. Everyone's so riled up by their own agendas that they're acting without thought, certainly without love, and definitely without factoring in God's faithfulness. And we've all been there, haven't we? Well, maybe we haven't hired people for you-know-what with mandrakes, but we've all acted in a way which was all feeling, no thought, survival instincts kicking in, losing sight of the bigger picture. But then the further you get away from the the feeling that causes you to act like a pork chop, the worse you feel about it. Guard your heart. Work out in advance what pushes your buttons and be careful not to have them pushed. Insofar as it's up to you, make peace with those that you've got issues bubbling under the surface. You can't always fix everything, but insofar as it's up to you, Fix those issues bubbling under the surface. Now, surprisingly, God actually listens to Leah in this crazy mandrake thing. And she has two more sons and a daughter of her own. And it's a bit hard to know, is it? With her last two boys' names, Issachar and Zebulun, is she genuinely grateful to God? Or is she just still taunting Rachel? Probably both. At the very least, the names are tactless. Leah's well ahead in the great baby race. But does she really feel like she's won? Have a look at verse 20. It's heartbreaking. Chapter 30, verse 20. 
Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I've borne him six sons. And it's heartbreaking because from what we know from Jacob so far, as she says these words in a hopeful tone, in her heart of hearts she must know nothing's ever going to be good enough to win Jacob's heart. And it kind of feels like that should be the end of the story, but God isn't finished yet. Verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. So God remembered. Now, when God remembers, it's not like... He forgot to have his go or something like that. You know, it's not, oh, I forgot why I came into this room. No, it means God has leapt into action to bless someone. God remembering is God leaping into action. In Genesis 8, for example, he remembered Noah and rescued him. Rachel gives birth to Joseph and later to Benjamin. And God is at work to fulfill his promises of blessing. Because it's through Joseph that his family, this family will be rescued by God from famine. So to summarize, no amount of trickery or human effort is going to give God's people a future. The hope of a future depends upon what God does. Our hope depends on what God has done, on what God is doing, And what God will do for us. In Jesus, God has done everything to reconcile us to himself. And at the right time, bring us to eternal, loving, joyful perfection with him. All we have to do is hand ourselves over to Jesus and trust in him. But people, humanity, us... We come up with all sorts of schemes to bless ourselves. Maybe not with mandrakes and maidservants, but we do all sorts of daft things, tying ourselves up in knots, trying to win at life. But the thing is, with investing in this life alone, as if that's all there is, it is like Monopoly. You can do really well, get all the best properties with all the hotels on, Get, you, know, you even get the corner of doom, you get all the yellows and the greens, nobody can get past you. You can win all of everybody else's money. And what happens at the end? Exactly the same thing that happens to us. It all gets packed away in a box. Now, is that enough for you? Is that enough? God says... We were made for more. God says we were made to enjoy eternal life with him. And only he can give it to us by grace. As Christians, we, don't, we can't worry or strategize God's kingdom into existence, into growing. God involves us in our growing each other to be more like Jesus, in sharing the good news about Jesus to people, but it's God who brings people into his kingdom. God who grows us by his spirit. So we join in full gusto with our confidence, not in us, 
but in God. So that's two wives and their servants. And there's one bloke, excuse me. Just to wake us up. Anyone here from overseas? Give me a holler. Who was born overseas? You want to say yay? Oh, come on. Okay. Anybody here from interstate? Woo! Okay. Anybody um, born and bred in Adelaide? Woo! The enthusiasm is overwhelming. Anybody born in the southern suburbs? No? Oh, yes. Well, Kristen wins the prize. I'll come back to why I did that later on. That was just to wake you up, but I will make a point with it. Okay, one bloke. Jacob. Now, let's face it. Pretty much all Jacob has done in this passage is, well, um, he's been the go that the women have been passing every time when they go around to collect their $200. And Jacob only has one line in this whole sorry story. And that's to snap at Rachel. Chapter 30, verse 2. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? The romance seems to have worn off under pressure, doesn't it? Jacob has got to this point, remember, the long way around. God has been disciplining him to shape him the man he needs to be. He's not quite there yet. He's still treating Leah badly. And although he doesn't say it nicely, he has come to a very important realization. Uh, Verse 2 here is exactly, if you look at the structure of Genesis, this verse 2 here is exactly in the middle of Jacob's account. And in Hebrew writing, that's its way of telling you that that's the main point. That's the big takeaway. Jacob realizes he is not God. He is not God. Important as he is to God's plans, he is not God. He's subject to God's authority, God's plans, God's desires. So let's think about him. Let's think about their God. Because God's back in this passage, isn't he? I mean, he's never been away. But remember last week's passage, he never got a mention. Life was lived without reference to him. And this week, what we've seen is all the consequences of that, of things being much harder than they needed to be. Here, in today's passage, he's given credit for some of the children. He's thanked, he's prayed to. Indeed, there almost seems to be a contrast between the words of love and trust for God spoken at the birth of the children and that contrasting with actual chaos of how life is lived out. So there's good and bad motives, there's loving motives, resentful motives, despairing motives, a real mixed bag coming together. And yet through it all, God fulfills his promises. And this whole account is bookended by making it clear who is in control of how many babies are in this story. Uh, 29.31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive In chapter 30, verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her, enabled her to conceive. But the surprising one is verse 17. God listened to Leah. 
whilst Leah is sort of half-trusting in pagan medicine, whilst Leah's hired Jacob from Rachel, I mean, it's hardly, as prayer forms go, I don't think it's going to make it into a book, is it? Like, you can see it in Kurong now, pray the Leah prayer, disclaimer, bring your own Viagra. <laughs> and yet, with such a mixed and muddy prayer, God listens. See, God doesn't need all our ducks to be lined up to hear our prayers. He doesn't need us to have done our acts, our adoration, contrition, thankfulness before he hears our supplications. Now, those things are good to do. They're good thing practices and disciplines to guard our hearts and shape our prayers. Our adoration, contrition, thankfulness. But we mustn't let them stop us actually asking God for things in faith. Because that's what he commands us to do. Prayer is asking God for stuff. And in the end, Leah, of this story, Leah, she's praying in hope of Jacob's honor. And Rachel is praying that God will take away her disgrace. Honor, disgrace. But look at the final count-up at the end of this game of Monopoly. God is honored. He is as promised, and against all the odds, building a people. He's kept his promise of offspring. This family have not been treated like they're a disgrace. He's given them children, 12 of them, and another one on the way. They might have cut their the long way round, lots of strife, lots of broken relationships, but here they are. And the thing is, as I said at the start, This is the origin story of God's chosen people, God's nation. So just as I got you to call out, to give a cheer where you were from, well, now imagine a big crowd, like years later, a big crowd with representatives of every tribe of Israel, each cheering their, you know, any Benjaminites here, woo, any Levites, yay. Each cheering their own patriarch. They could be forgiven for expecting God to have birthed their tribes in some heroic origin story. Glory and honor. The truth is, they were birthed from a family full of conflict. Two sisters really not getting on. Jealousy, mixed motives. In other words, they were birthed out of, every day, sinful humanity. And we need to realize This is us. This family holds a mirror up to us. Trusting in God, yes. Securing our salvation, yes. Broadly about his purposes, yes. We're thankful to God for that. But thrown into the mix, our own sinful hearts and mixed motives. Envy. Pride. Wanting to be the winner needing to find approval from people, anger. And that's just me, and I'm the pastor. (laughs) All of us need to see we're no better than this family. And yet, they are who God chose to birth his nation, and we are who God chose to be in his kingdom. 
and seek to grow it. I mean, have you ever asked yourself about you being a Christian? Why me? Why did God choose you? For God's people, much later on, as we're about to enter the promised land, God would give them this warning from Deuteronomy 9. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to take possession of the land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations. Understand then, verse 6, understand then, it's not because of your righteousness that the Lord is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Why then? Just because God chose them. For his purposes. Why did God choose us? Titus 3 verse 5. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done. But because of his mercy. We have to see that. Just like for Jacob's family. This is all down to God's grace. Because. It's all down to God remembering us. The minute we begin to think it's because there's something special about us, we've missed the point, and it's got a huge effect on how we present ourselves and how we present Jesus. If we think we're chosen because we're great, because I'm a big deal around here, well then, Church becomes a social club for religious people who think they're good enough. Whereas what church really is, is a lifeboat. This is a rescue vessel for people who know that we're hopelessly lost without God remembering us. So our being chosen is, is not a source of pride that we are, you know, kind of God's uh, that we're the most, and of course God would choose us. God choosing us is a source of humility because it tells us that actually we were the least. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is our last cross-reference. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. No, definitely not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So let's get our origin story straight. We are sinners saved by grace, saved by God's free, undeserved gift. We aren't saved for the best. In fact, that, past, that verses I just read even suggests we're saved because we could have been the worst without God remembering us. 
with our origin story straight, we can get on with our lives, lived in thankful service of him, and sharing our story of knowing God's grace to us in Jesus. And doing that in a way that makes it clear we know we need him too. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, please give us um, an appropriate humility. We don't want to despair of our sinfulness because Jesus has dealt with it all. But nor do we want to be proud and think we're something special. Please help us um, just reflect on this um, origin story of Israel and our own origin story. Uh, Keep us humble, keep us thankful so that we may share your grace with one another, encourage one another, and so that many more may be added to your kingdom. Amen.